0: Hey y'all, welcome back to Seeker Plus, I am Trace, and this week we're going to talk all about gravity. As my friend Marty once said, it's heavy, Doc. So this week we're going to talk about what gravity is, really, and where it came from, why we have so much trouble understanding gravity, and if we will ever have anti-gravity devices or artificial gravity, so much more stuff. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to fall into the gravity well that is, well, gravity. So let's kick into it. A friend of mine had a shirt when I was growing up that I just thought was the best, and it said, gravity, it's not just a good idea, it's the law. (laughs) Gravity is a surprisingly simple concept. Two things with mass, no matter how large or small, tend to attract each other or fall toward each other in space. That's all gravity is. And yet, the why and the how of gravity is just magnificently complicated and its importance also cannot be overstated. Without gravity, we would fly off the planet. There would actually be no planet, of course, because the mass wouldn't have formed together into a planet, and there'd be no solar system anyway, because the sun wouldn't have the energy to have held itself together against the exploding forces inside of it, and of course, then there would be other forces of nature, so without gravity, the universe would just be completely flat and featureless and horrible. Also, we wouldn't be here and there'd be no ice cream. But to understand gravity, we should probably go back to the beginning. And at first, when you think of gravity, you probably think of the guy, the apple and the tree and all of that, Isaac Newton. He's a British dude born in the 17th century, and at the time, he showed up and said, hey, there's no easy way to describe the changing universe over time. And he was right. Galileo had already seen the movements of Jupiter's moons and the scars on the moon. He died the year Newton was born, by the way. And because of Galileo, we knew that the universe was not a perfect, flawless picture that some had believed at the time. It was imperfect. It was messy. And Ptolemy, he was wrong. The Earth was not the center of everything. And my jefe Galileo, he observed those movements. But he didn't create orbital models. He just looked out there and said, hey, there's stuff moving. But he didn't have a way to describe those movements easily. So my boy Isaac shows up. And he helps describe orbital dynamics and invented calculus. He was also the first to create hypotheses on optics and the composition of light. He of course created Newton's three laws of motion, which were updates to Kepler's laws. He created the law of universal gravitation. He did a lot of stuff. But the thing that you probably know about Newton, the thing that you've heard the most, is that an apple fell on his head and he was all like, gravity, which kind of minimizes his stuff right like he's actually way smarter than that he didn't just get hit by a piece of fruit you can't really think of gravity without thinking of newton and the apple but funny story newton uh, never wrote down the story about the apple and instead he talked about it way later in his life there's no solid hard evidence that an apple fell and anything happened and especially not that it hit him in the head here's what i could find about newton and his apple So, funny story, Newton's at Cambridge, this little thing's happening over in Europe, maybe you've heard of it, the bubonic plague. So Cambridge is all like, whoa, this is a big deal, we should probably close for a little while. So he's at home at his family farm. Uh, He's there for a few years while Europe handles this messy plague business. And while he was there, he recounted much, much, much later as an old man to his biographer, William Stuckley, after dinner, The weather being warm, I went into the garden and drank tea under the shade of some apple trees. And he asked himself, why should that apple always descend perpendicularly to the ground, occasioned by the fall of an apple, as he sat in a contemplative mood? Why should it not go sideways or upwards, but constantly to the earth's center? Assuredly, the reason is that Earth draws it. There must be a drawing power in matter, and the sum of the drawing power in the matter of the Earth must be at the Earth's center, not in any side of Earth. Thought Newton, allegedly. More or less, this story that he was telling, there's no proof that it actually ever happened, although people don't doubt that it probably did. But Newton told it again and again and again. He wanted there to be this kind of myth or mythos about it. So the head of archives at the Royal Society of Britain says, quote, the story was certainly true, but let's say it got better with the telling, which I think is just the best. Newton never wrote it down, and he wrote a lot. And instead it just shows up in his biography. But it kind of doesn't matter. It's just fun, right? The important thing is Newton looked at gravity, and he said, let's figure that out. And he applied the same ideas broadly. So he looked at the moon and the planets, and he thought, this is being held together by gravity. Gravity is drawing this. It helped Adams and Le Verrier both independently discover Neptune because of orbital perturbations of Uranus. This law was incredible. It changed how we looked at our own universe and our solar system. But it was also wrong. Okay, so let's back up. What is gravity anyway. Like, what do we know about it? Gravity is a force. And today we've learned that there are four fundamental forces in the universe. There's gravity, and that was the first one to be described. Newton just went over that. There's also electromagnetism. That was described a little later in the 19th century. Both of these are apparent. You can see and experience them out in the world. Create an electromagnet, you can see that it does something. right? But there are also two other forces. There's strong and weak forces. The 20th century, when these were discovered, it's the atomic age, we've found that the strong force holds atomic nuclei together, and the weak force is stuff like radioactivity. So first, gravity, as we understand it, appeared really, really soon after the Big Bang, like 1 times 10 to the negative 43. It's, it's really, really, really soon. Just after the Planck era, if you want to go look that up. And the really most important thing to understand is that gravity showed up really quickly and it's a property of all matter. But what causes it, why did it show up just then? Shrug, we don't really know. This is about all we know so far. The thing is, we're trying to describe as much of gravity as we can. So without knowing all the pieces, we're gonna get some stuff wrong. And that is why Newton was wrong with the law of universal gravitation. He didn't know enough. The thing that was wrong is not everything, just a small part of it. Newton didn't know enough about gravity to fully describe it. Newtonian gravity is fine for big concepts like planets and moons, but it's not precise enough for very small things. And in fact, Newton was assuming a flat universe that was pretty empty, not a lot going on, still pretty clean and perfect, more Ptolemaic in that way. And then our bay, Albie Einstein, shows up. And he realizes that space and time are not separate things. They're a fabric. So if you think of a bowling ball on a latex sheet, you put this really massive ball in the middle. And it has so much mass that it also has so much gravity. And if we're all holding the sheet at the edge and keeping it taut, you put it in the middle, it distorts the sheet, right? Distorts time and space because of its gravity, because of its mass. It's not just a force, but gravity is a geometric consequence, writes Cosmos magazine. So if you think of the bowling ball with more mass, making more distortion in the universe, a tennis ball would have way less mass. So it has an almost imperceptible distortion of the surrounding fabric of space and time based on its gravity. And Einstein came up with math to describe this multidimensional gravity. Essentially, he took Newtonian gravity and he said, this isn't quite right. Let's tweak it. Let's make it more accurate." This is why, by the way, black holes and stars can bend light and why Earth orbits the sun the way that it does. Gravity isn't just a direct path. You know, the sun doesn't have a string and swings us around. It's instead a multidimensional geometric relationship between the two celestial bodies. And there's tons of research to back this up that I'm not going to get into. But we still haven't figured out what causes gravity yet. We still don't understand its basic piece, and that is the graviton, or so the theory goes. Each of these four fundamental forces is carried by a particle. So electromagnetism has the photon, the strong force has the gluon, the weak force has W and Z boson. Gravity, we assume, has a graviton, but we have not found it yet. So gravity is confusing because we have all these laws to describe it, and they work for this desk or for my arm or whatever, but they don't apply to subatomic particles for some reason, and to quote CERN, quote... The quantum theory used to describe the micro world and general theory of relativity used to describe the macro world are difficult to fit into a single framework. So we still don't quite understand gravity all the way. We're sort of like Newton right now. We've got a good understanding of gravity. We still need it. We still need to understand it, but we need more information. Einstein's theory is better than Newton's, but doesn't quite cut it all the way. So what's next? We've got top men and women around the world working on it. And when we figure it out, whew, boy, it's going to be great. But till then, gravity is a great idea and a law. Even if we don't know what it is, we do know that it is. Think of it like a disease or like DNA. Just because we don't understand it 100% doesn't mean that we can't study it and understand how to use it to our advantage. Farmers didn't need DNA evidence to know how to breed animals and plants, but once we learned how to manipulate that, we could modify our methods. So you don't have to understand something 100% to be able to use it. It just helps. And gravity is the same. We're probing gravity. We're trying to understand it more. But in the meantime, we're still using and learning from gravity. So in the 1960s, NASA sent a set of probes to orbit our moon. They were called the Lunar Orbiter Project, and the idea was to take pictures for possible Apollo landing sites. However, the lunar probes would sometimes, while flying over the moon, speed up and dip toward the moon for some reason. And what they found out was that it was the gravity on the moon. It was different in different places. So as the orbit flew over parts of the moon, they would dip and dive toward the moon where the gravity was higher and then come back up. And it turned out there was more lunar mass in those spots. They called these spots of high mass, mass concentrations, because NASA is very creative, or mass cons. So as the probes flew over these mass cons, the radio signals being sent back to Earth would change And that's how they learned to measure where the mass cons were. They used the Doppler shift of the radio signals received on Earth to understand the mass cons on the moon. God, NASA scientists are smart. But there's more to it than that. Because it turns out the moon's surface has more and less dense areas. There are places of mass cons. There's places with no mass cons. And this is due to the irregular heating and cooling of the moon when it was being formed. And thus, gravity on the moon is sort of lumpy. The experience of gravity on any planet can depend on the planet's density at that point and what type of matter is underneath whatever is measuring. So let's say you. How far away from the planet's core you're standing could affect how much gravity you're experiencing. Whether you're on a mountain or on the ocean or on the moon, the mass under you is affecting your gravity. And on a planet like Earth, Other things can affect it too, like the tides, how much mantle is below the crust at the point you're standing, and also even where the moon is, because gravity can reach a far distance. But let me get all, like, sitting on the couch, a little bit baked. Do you weigh more on top of a mountain, you think, because there's a whole bunch of mass under you, right? But you're further from the Earth's core, right? So it gets kind of crazy. You actually weigh less, because mountains aren't as dense as the Earth's mantle, and you're further away from the center of the Earth again, so less gravity. At the bottom of the ocean, do you weigh more or less? It's also less. Even though you're closer to the center of the Earth and there's all that dense mantle under you, there's less mass below your feet. Gravity is so complicated and super cool, right? Note, by the way, your mass is the same no matter where you are in the universe, that's mass. Mass is how much matter, weight is the force of gravity on your mass, so that's gonna change. Mass, constant, gravity changes. Okay, anyway, when you measure this gravitational force, what you use is a unit called the gal, short for Galileo. Although, because these gravitational units are so big, this is me in finger quotes, they usually use milligals, So 1 gal is approximately 0.0010197 of regular gravity. Very, very small. 1 centimeter per second squared. Measured in milligals, that would be 1 times 10 to the negative 6 of gravitational constant, 9.8 meters per second per second. So fun fact for those gravitational nerds out there, using the Bouget anomaly, which is a way to measure and kind of categorize these milligal measurements, the lowest gravity in North America is in Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico. And the highest areas of gravity in the North American continent are Florida, Georgia, North and South Carolina, Virginia, DC, Maryland, Alaska, Northern Louisiana, and Mississippi. Yeah, it's weird, it's, it's definitely like a fun fact. Anyway, also fun fact extension, a paper in Geophysical Research Letters found that the lowest acceleration due to gravity is on Mount Nevado in Peru, whereas the highest is actually in the Arctic Ocean, interestingly. If you fell from a height of 100 meters, you would hit the surface of the Arctic about 16 milliseconds before you hit the mountain in Peru thanks to gravity, isn't that cool? So back to gravity, NASA, followed up their lunar orbiters, the ones that first understood mass cons on the moon, with the GRAIL missions. Their twin probes, I kid you not, named Ebb and Flow. I love nerds. Their goal was to help explain how the moon formed. There are a lot of different theories. We're not going to get into them right now. They're really, really cool. But that's what they wanted to do. It also could help them learn how planets might form. And under the crust of the moon, these probes showed asteroid impacts that had created these lunar mass cons, or dense areas of gravity. And in fact, it was so dense that it was affecting the local gravity on the moon, and they could feel it above the moon in orbit. Interestingly, though, as we learn more about gravity and understand how to measure it, we're also finding out that climate change is affecting gravity here on Earth. The European Space Agency's Gravity Field and Steady State Ocean Circulation Explorer Satellite. Great name, you guys. The abbreviation is G-O-C-E or GOCE. They found, quote, the loss of ice from West Antarctica between 2009 and 2012 caused a dip in the gravity field over the region. That's huge. So now that we're measuring gravity, we can find all sorts of things that are changing it. And again, you can measure gravity with a satellite because of... Let's back up a little bit. The fundamental principle of gravity, that its range is infinite. So remember the four fundamental forces that we were talking about earlier? Strong and weak, electromagnetism, and gravity? Strong and weak have very limited ranges. They only work in very small scales. Electromagnetism is infinite and way stronger than gravity, especially at the subatomic level. But even though gravity is super weak, 10 to the negative 40 times weaker than electromagnetism, We can measure it from very, very far away. That's how we figured out that Neptune was out there, because we looked at how its gravity was affecting Uranus. That's how they're theorizing that there might be another giant planet way out past Neptune because of gravity that it's affecting the other planets in our solar system. It's really, really small effects, but they're there. It's amazing to think about, right? Andromeda, the galaxy that's closest to us, it's, its gravity is drawing us. Black holes at the center of our galaxy are pulling on you. Your phone, technically, is pulling on you with gravity. Not just, you know, the notifications I have to check, no. Actual gravity. All matter is pulling on all other matter. So it is weird to think of gravity as weak because that seems like a really massive effect pun intended gravity holds the whole earth together it's weak though because the earth is five million billion billion kilograms and yet i can lift my five kilogram arm no problem with all that gravity all that mass pulling on me i can still lift my arm that's because it's weak Earth has one million, billion, billion times more mass than my arm, yet I defy its gravity with my little teeny weak arm muscles. The thing is, even in orbit, gravity is pulling on you. You never really escape gravity, ever. And really massive things like neutron stars, when they smack into each other, we know it because we can sense the waves in the fabric of space time, the gravity waves, but we'll come back to that. Since gravity is sort of weak, Why do we need it, right? Why can't we just have it disappear? Well, the reason we can't, and I'm no physicist, but we'd still be on our trajectory around the sun for several minutes if gravity just disappeared. The sun would explode because no gravity would counteract the fusion forces that are exploding inside of the sun. Nothing would hold the sun together. Not to mention, we would fly off the planet, and our planet would then fly off into space. So would everything else. Earth spinning at an astounding 1,600 kilometers per hour. So you would go flying way off into the atmosphere really fast, as would all the water and the atmosphere itself, really, and the Earth would likely spin itself apart. Again, we should probably ask a physicist about this. That would be a really, really fun conversation. However, without gravity, the universe as we know it would just be ballistic and there would be no stars, no galaxies, and definitely no life, no Beyonce, and needless to say it would be bad. So I for one am a big fan of gravity, even though it does hold us down or hold us back I don't know, whatever. But you know who hated it? Werner von Braun rocket pioneer here's a quote we can lick gravity, but sometimes the paperwork is overwhelming that guy's great When we first launched rockets to the stars, in part thanks to Von Braun, we were fighting with gravity. But now that we've licked it, so to speak, gravity has become our friend, sort of. But we still had to learn how to overcome it. This episode of Secret Plus is brought to you by Lego Technic. Whatever you build for, whoever you want to be, Lego Technic is the real deal. These sets are more than just bricks. They're real-life builds with moving parts and realistic models, real working gears, electric motors, even pneumatics. It's taking the kits that I used as a kid to the next level. Go to lego.com slash technic to find your next Lego Technic build and see how Lego recently built a life-sized, drivable supercar out of Technic parts. That's lego.com slash technic, T-E-C-H-N-I-C, Lego Technic, build for real. So, so far, we've established gravity is everywhere and that it is so weak that a baby can defy it, but it's so strong and important that without it, we would all die and the universe would cease to exist as we know it. Gravity is awesome. But... That's all kind of blase, right? Gravity, pff, what about the crazy stuff? When I was in eighth grade, we went to Cedar Point, the greatest roller coaster park that I have ever heard of. This was a science trip, I know, it's the best. We brought homemade, or really made in class, G-force measuring devices with us, and we were tasked to ride and measure the gravity on each of the rides that we went on. We were measuring G-forces, which is a, quote, form of acceleration that causes the accelerating object to experience a force acting in the opposite direction of the acceleration. Gravitational forces. And according to the Bioastronautics Data Book from NASA 1973, the authors wrote, quote, A few units of measurement have been more misused and misunderstood than the unit G. Because G does not represent gravity. Instead, what it actually represents, what gravitational forces actually are, are acceleration forces, apparent forces because gravity exists, not actual gravitational measurements. What it does is it tells how much force is acting upon you due to gravity. So think of the force of gravity as one G, you know, one G force. If you feel twice the force of gravity, that would be two G, 18 times 18 Gs. If you feel no gravity, that would be zero G, and that would actually be really rare, if not impossible. But you feel that swooping feeling in your stomach? That's an airplane you know, dropping suddenly or going over a hill on a bump? That's less than one G. There's no such thing as negative Gs, literally less than zero Gs, that's not possible, because that would mean gravity was pushing the other way on you, that's not a thing, that's yet. <laughs> We know the tolerances on humans because we put people in acceleration sleds, centrifugal chambers, and so on. On roller coasters, fighter jets, and rockets, we see the experiences that they have, and we can measure those G-forces. And there are a lot of them, and they can be pretty dangerous because they act on everything. For example, a few years back, I flew in an F-18. It was awesome. I threw up everywhere. But I had a pressure suit on, that would squeeze my legs and my abdomen when I would fly into positive g-forces. So if I went six or eight positive g's, it would force the liquid in my body down into my legs, so the pressure suit would squeeze my legs and abdomen so that that fluid would stay up in my head and upper body to keep the blood in my brain so that I didn't pass out. Pilots and astronauts have to deal with these forces all the time. And they're actually tested to see how many G-forces they're experiencing and how many they can stand. Apollo astronauts were put through a lot because we'd never gone to the moon before. We didn't know what we would expect when we got out there. I went to a lecture by John Glenn and Michael Collins at the Smithsonian in DC, and they talked about EIEO tests, which sounds super technical, but it actually means eyeballs in, eyeballs out. It's a centrifuge chair in a chamber. So it spins really, really fast, and it could flip directions. So you'd be going really high G-forces in one direction, pushing into your chest, say. Then it would flip really fast, and the G-forces would be pulling outward, away from your chest. So eyeballs in, (laughs) eyeballs out. And there was a lot of concern about all these G-forces. See, in the early 20th century, we thought there was an upper limit to how many Gs the human body could take. We'd set that limit at 18. 18 Gs. The reason being, there was a lot of airplane crashes, and during airplane crashes, they would go look at the wreckage, and they would say, oh my gosh, this pilot pulled 18 Gs, that explains it, and they kept seeing this again and again. So they assumed that people had passed out, or they died because of all these G forces. But a biophysicist named John Stapp, he wanted to know what the maximum human Gs actually were. So he built a rocket sled, and he strapped himself into it, and he would shoot himself at increasing speeds to get those G-forces. Turns out the human body can survive 46.2 Gs, maybe more. But that's the peak that he went to. He was still alive after that. He was hurt, but he wasn't dead. So we can experience a lot without too much trouble. (laughs) We'll be hurt, but we'll be alive. G-forces are really interesting because you can also use them to do other things like fly. Parabolic flight, or the vomit comet that maybe you've heard of, is where a plane flies and does a dive, and then pulls up, and then does another dive, and then pulls up. And each dive lasts a dozen seconds or so, maybe more. And the idea is you can test free fall, or Zero g microgravity space environments, and you can do it without having to send anybody to space. You just put them on an airplane. A lot of YouTubers have been doing this lately. You probably saw the movie Apollo 13. Parts of that were filmed using this technique. This zero-g flight is really just free fall. The same thing as jumping out of an airplane with a parachute, but you're doing it inside of the airplane. But what it does do is it helps teach us about microgravity in space, Microgravity is serious stuff. The reason that we take an airplane and we put it in parabolic flight, the reason we test all of the astronauts with all of these different g-forces because microgravity is serious business. It's not zero gravity again, microgravity, because gravity keeps things in orbit. You're basically just falling when you're in space. They're going so fast that they never hit the ground. The Earth just falls away below them as the space shuttle is flying by. Super fun, but also can be bad for the human body because humans and life, we didn't evolve to live without gravity. And we'd like to think, you know, science fiction would like to tell us that we can just go out into space and it's not going to be a big problem. But without gravity, we don't know what's going to happen. Especially our gravity, specifically. When you're in space, they call it flying. You're floating. You're in free fall. So you're just flying around. You're not using your muscles. There's nothing drawing you toward the ground. It sounds freeing, but it actually can be bad for the human body. What happens to astronauts on long-term travel is a loss of muscle mass, a loss of strength and endurance, you can get kidney stones, bone loss, weakening of the body, and weakening of the bones, and we adapt. The human body, it adapts to survive. You can go into space and you can work out, try and mitigate this, just like on the ground you work out and you gain muscle, you live somewhere in a high altitude, you adapt to it. If it's hot, you know, so on and so forth. But the body's adaptation for gravity is we don't need all this bone and muscle. The body is very efficient. If it doesn't have to maintain all of that, why does it? Why would it? That's adapting. That is how adaptation works. And this could be the reason that we humans don't space travel. If we can't be in space for long periods without getting weak and wasting away, we're never going to get to WALL-E, Star Trek, you know, you name it, because there'd be so much bone loss. Also, Wally, come on. Those guys in the chair and they've had all this bone loss and they just hop out on the earth and start farming? No way. Never could happen. The thing is, you can simulate gravity when you're in orbit. A genius sci fi writer, physicist, one of my favorite authors, Arthur C. Clarke, he wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was published in 1968. In that, he had a spinning satellite that had, quote, artificial gravity. The thing is, it's not actually gravity. It's simulated gravity. When the station spins, in this sci-fi book, the centrifugal force acts to pull the inhabitants toward the outside of the station. The act of the station having walls and stopping them is what simulates the gravity. It's Newton's laws of motion again. Forces have equal and opposite reactions. So you can simulate gravity, But it's not actually gravity. Nothing can create gravity except lots and lots of mass. You can experience this gravity simulation if you go to the amusement park and you get in the spinning spaceship ride, the Gravitron. Uh, It's a spinning thing. You know, it's great. Can't lift up your arms, whatever. That's basically what this is doing, but in space. They use this in a lot of different sci-fi. One of my favorite shows, Babylon 5, used this. They put public transit in the little gravity area, and everybody lived on the inside of this giant station that was spinning to simulate gravity. The idea being that way people could live in space. Also, Babylon 5 is great and I should rewatch it, just a mental note. But we can't make gravity without mass, unless maybe if we figure out the graviton. In 2016, a mathematician, not a physicist mind you, had a hypothesis using math, not experiments or testing, that we might be able to manipulate and create gravitational fields. Artificial gravity, maybe? Maybe, 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 maybe. Not ones that would hold people down in a spacecraft, of course, just ones to study the gravitational effect on space time, because basically, like gravity, electromagnetism, one of the other four fundamental forces, curves space time. It just does it way, way less. So using a really large superconducting magnet, we could study the curving of space time, because gravity is curving space time. The thing is we can't escape gravity. So we can't study our gravitational effect on space time because we're surrounded by it all the time. So if we can use magnets, then hopefully we can study gravity and learn even more about it so that someday, far, far in the future, we can figure out how to manipulate it. Math, I guess. So throughout this whole series on gravity, I've been talking around this thing that we don't fully understand it, right? That doesn't make it less fascinating Does it? We didn't think so. If we could somehow impart lots of mass to something, then we could make gravity. But then we'd have all these other problems, like using huge amounts of fuel to move that thing around, and the inertia would be intense. But if we could figure out the graviton, maybe we wouldn't have to impart a huge amount of mass. Before we discovered the electron, we couldn't have imagined harnessing electricity, right? Before we discovered the proton and the neutron, we couldn't have imagined harnessing the power of the atom. And we're new at doing that. So maybe in a thousand years, if we've figured out the graviton, creating gravity won't be no thing. We'll have to wait and see. In the end, gravity its not just a good idea, it's the law. Maybe it says more about the power of this weak force in nature than we originally thought. What do you think? Y'all, thank you so much for hanging out with me here on Seeker Plus. Just a reminder, you can find more Seeker on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just look for Seeker. I'm Trace. You can find me out there, too. Just look for Trace Dominguez. And with that in mind, this episode was written and hosted by me, Trace Dominguez, produced and fact-checked by Lauren Ellis, Victoria Barrios, and Megan Bates. It was edited by Alex Esteves and recorded by Matt Pinyol. Thanks again for listening to Seeker Plus. Stay tuned for the upcoming series next week. And in the meantime, I'm Trace. Thanks for listening.